Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a New York City-based director who loves the Great American Songbook, trivia, collecting LP records, and hot beverages. It's Mike Maney, everybody! Hello. How are you? Do you have a hot beverage? No, I've just got water today. It's a oh, little It's a little late. I, I had coffee mm. when I got home. That's so. my main hot beverage, too. I love, uh, yeah, anytime, anyplace. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about a lot of other things. But first of all, you're here to talk about... Zorba. I have nothing. I want nothing. I am free. I need nothing. I owe nothing. I am free. If my feet say come this way, I probably would. But if they say go that way, that way is just as good. Zorba! Here it is, that that classic Hander and Ebb show. Right up there with like 70 Girls 70, where like people are kind of vaguely aware of it. I don't know if you can hum anything from it, but, uh, no, it's, but here we are. Just kind of there. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, they've written, it's it's worth remembering, they've written a lot of shows, Candor and Ab. They are like a ton of, of, of output. And the, obviously everyone knows Chicago Cabaret and, you know, like some of the big hits, but they wrote yeah, some, some shows. Yeah. And this is one of the ones that's kind of in like the early middle years where, they're mm-hmm. off of the like the success of cabaret and all of that and yeah kind of, you can very much tell how influenced this show is by cabaret oh yes 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 very very much so uh so i will ask as i do uh every episode how did zorba come into your life in a very roundabout way <laughs> um oh, okay. when i was like 14 years old i think for christmas i got a book that was the 100 greatest musicals ever and the last one in there because it was alphabetical was Zorba. And ah. so I I read that book cover to cover so many times as a teenager that, and I'd always like associated Zorba with finishing the book. And mm-hmm. then I saw the movie and it was like, wow, this is it's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> and then I worked at a record store for years and I, you know, spent half my paycheck uh, right back into the store by Gave special right ordering cast store. albums. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was, the best employee because I was a patron as much as I was a, a worker there, but I kept trying to find the cast album and it was out of print. And then mm-hmm. I eventually, I, I think I got it on eBay and then listened to it and was like, wow, this is amazing. Not realizing how incredibly dark it is. And the the plot is just a massive bummer to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is one of those shows where you, if you just listen to the album, you don't really get a sense of what kind of show it is. Like I, and as somebody who was familiar with it, but only vaguely, you know, I knew a couple of the tunes and I was aware of it, obviously as a, as a Candor and Ebb piece and show that was nominated for a lot of Tonys when it, when it was came out, I didn't know. I thought it was like a very, I, I will tell you, so you're, you're going to explain the plot to everybody in a second, but I, I will tell you what I thought the plot was <laughs> just based on, like four songs 
and stills from the movie of Anthony Quinn teaching that guy to dance. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a story about a guy who goes to who's like depressed and then he goes to Greece and he meets this like life affirming, dancing, singing Anthony Quinn figure who teaches him the true meaning about life and to dance. And he goes back to the States and he's happy again. That is not the plot of Zorba. It's Um, not an eat, pray, love. No, but it was a thousand percent what I thought the plot was uh, up until as recently as last week. So Mike, (laughs) could you tell the folks at home the truth? And what is the plot of Zorba? Yeah, and it doesn't help that like the album cover logo. It's it's a man doing a handstand. Like you, you, it's so deceptive. I was tricked on so many different levels for so long. And but man, (laughs) so so the the plot of Zorba is about a young man named Nikos who inherits a mine in Crete. And on his way there, he meets this man named Zorba, who literally comes up to him and says, where are you going? And as soon as he finds out, he goes, okay, can I come with you? And like within seconds, decides he's going to join Nikos. And so they go to this island, and it's very cut off from the world, and everyone's very much set in their ways. And there's these traditions there, and there's these two interlopers who come to reopen the mine. And they stay with a former courtesan who falls in love with Zorba and then Nikos falls in love with the widow in town. And there's a young man in town who wants to marry the widow and loves her and gets very upset when Nikos and her get together uh, to the point where he kills himself. And that is how act one ends. Right. Act one ends with a suicide. And then, (laughs) uh, they look at the mine and they realize it's in terrible shape and Zorba volunteers to go and get more supplies and Nikos gives him money to go do this and he immediately blows it all on women and booze and he comes back and Nikos is, is angry at him and how he gets back at him is telling him that he told uh, Madame Hortense, the, the courtesan, that Zorba wants to marry her. So they get married and then the family of the person who killed themselves is so upset by it and they blame the widow to the point where they murder the widow and then that's death number two folks in this musical comedy (laughs) and then shortly after death number two is death number three with madame hortense who's who's sick throughout the show it's 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 hinted at and then it's for real and then she dies so there's three deaths there and then they go to open up the mine and they realize that it's in too poor a shape to be reopened and it should just be left for dead and that's that and then zorba and nikos go their separate ways and that is zorba yeah <laughs> um it's a bummer uh and <laughs> so normally i am a big like you know, not everything has to be a musical comedy. It's fine that it's not, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. But I will really say nothing in this score or the marketing or anything sets you up for the fact that this is a deeply tragic show. It's a very kind of, you know, you've seen stuff like this before, a very basic tragedy of people trying to do their best and failing. 
um, exactly. and being mean to each other. And like, and that's not what you get from a guy doing a handstand on a musical album cover. Yeah. And you know, there, there doesn't also seem to be a consensus where sometimes it has an exclamation point at the end of it. And sometimes right. it doesn't. And that exclamation point is, you know, the, the joke in musical theater now, but you know, it used to mean like the show's got a little zip behind it. It's got a, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's funny because it's like, you know, it's about life and embracing life, but it's in like the most dour way possible. And it's, I saw it when Encores did it back in 2015. And I, at that point I was obsessed with the show and I left it and I was just like, I am sad. (laughs) Like, you know, I was just like, I couldn't believe how I felt after. Like I, I, it's the only time in my life where I left a musical and just was bummed out afterwards. And mm-hmm. I was grateful that I had tickets to something rotten that evening. And so I could have a palate cleanse. And it was like, go. I watched Requiem for a dream with like the first time I watched that and how I felt after seeing that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such a weird, it is not a weird follow-up to a show like Cabaret. You know what I mean? Like it's very, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a very understandable uh thing for them to take on it's also i mean joseph stein wrote the book this is the crew that brought you cabaret like this is the same team and directed by hal prince um mm-hmm. it's it's and, the, it's the, it's the gang yeah and it's, it's it's and it's cabaret and it's fiddler on the roof weirdly enough where right. and and that kind of became an issue with the show too because the two leads were for the longest time Golda and Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. So people saw that they were starring in this musical and were thinking they were getting another Fiddler and were not getting that at all in terms no. of tone and things like that. No, 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 it, no. And no, it's no. funny that you can kind of, for the plot of Zorba, you can make it sound like it's cabaret by, you know, an American traveling to Europe uh, mm-hmm. with a with a job to do of sorts and meets an eccentric European who teaches them about life they get beat up quite a bit by life and then they go their separate ways all the while there's a nameless character commenting on the action too throughout (laughs) so it's (laughs) yeah it's kind of funny that nobody stopped to to think hey maybe we should you know put a pin in this for a while until we're we're far enough away from cabaret yeah it it really it, it it seems like a misstep on so many different levels and all of the, the 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 afterthoughts, you know, you read about are people saying like, Oh, it was just too sad. Like it was just far too depressing because there's a lot of different. I wonder how you, what you feel about this. Like if you're going to kill somebody in any work of drama, but especially in a musical, it, there's ways you can do it and there's ways you can't. I mean, you could obviously do whatever you want, but like in there are a lot of great musicals um, that feature the deaths of tragic deaths of central characters. I mean, and and there's shows like Les Mis, obviously, where characters die throughout. There are shows um, like Fun Home where everything is centered around a suicide. You know, I'm not saying you can't do a musical about about suicide and about all these topics, but you've really got to set people up for it in in the most explicit way possible and this does it like you expect that in an opening number like in in an opening number that would be like 
this is like like and it even it deals with it a little bit but it's sort of like song like life is would be something like you know people die people kill people do dumb things there's this sort of like you know people kill themselves for no reason people get beat up and you know and all this and that's not it at all you get this very life affirming like tradition kind of opening number like to, to quote fiddler and it just doesn't prepare you for the fact that like oh act one ends with a uh uh us yeah a very sad so a very sad suicide so um that's not great <laughs> and, We're and in not trouble. That, it's like dramaturgically it doesn't feel like it's an earned death you know it's it's right. a very minor character who we see that happen to and, and then because of that a slightly more important character but one who we don't really get to see a whole lot of at, up until that point in the show is going to be murdered because of this minor death it just kind of seems like th- the moments aren't aren't earned in a way well and later it's it's also that problem yeah. of like if you're going to do like if you're going to have act 1 end with a suicide it especially feels like then immediately the repercussions should start to build in like then because this is a very serious act and a very serious thing that has happened. But if you take your time and like the repercussions don't come till the ha- the midway point of act two, there's a certain group in the audience who's sort of just like, oh, I guess we're just not going to really, that's not going to be a problem. Oh, it is going to be a problem. Oh, but we like, I forgot how we got here. You know, it's this, we- you really have to understand <laughs> the weight yeah. of what you're putting on the stage. And it's also, again, because he is such a minor character that it's, pretty easy to forget about it especially with the songs that follow that event and you've got the the why can't i speak segment there and Mm -hmm. it is focused on the widow and nico's why can't i speak why won't the dudes come why do i stand here But then you have Yasu, which is, you know, this happy, fun number. And it, it's it's a great song, but, you know, there's some very, you know, pressing things that should have been attended to before, you know, we get to that. A lily and a veil to represent her purity. from the well to summon back his innocence the chalice and the water just for you ah ah Canavaro. what you're my virgin too I mean there's a lot of fun numbers in this show like the album is fun to listen to it is it is a real like you go oh like and again you would be forgiven for thinking this was just Fiddler in Greece like it has very and and obviously the influence of fiddler on the roof can't be overstated it had only opened 4 years before it was still a new so running it was still a going concern uh so it's it's like hamilton today its presence looms over everything so if you have yeah. a show with a guy a lead character with a beard who dances like people are going to be like oh fiddler you yeah know, exactly gonna, you know, that's just the assumption they're going to make they'll be like this is fiddler right this is fiddler it's like no this is not fiddler it's just not any kind of fiddler, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> fiddler. 
it's like fiddler without the jokes you know like exactly yeah and even then like fiddler isn't you know a picnic either in terms of you know story it's 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 sad but the interesting thing is you know there are musicals that tackle weighty themes like you mentioned but there's almost always it ends on a hopeful note like fun home ends with a little glimmer of hope or like next to or normal ends with a song called light you know and right it's really hard for a musical to be very, very intense the entire time. And it's interesting because, you know, we've got plays that are tragedies. We have operas that are tragedies, but for whatever reason, a musical that's a tragedy is a very hard needle to thread for some reason. And like every show that I can think of, you know, something like passion or Juno, which are equally, you know, depressing. They they don't Mm -hmm. run long because people, you know, for whatever reason, just don't sit through it. Well, passion's an interesting comparison. Like passion has, you know, the the, the passion and shows like Les Mis or Miss Saigon have this general operatic vibe to them. And so I think that, I think you're right. I think that passion being the smallest of those in terms of, you know, it's small cast, the score mm-hmm. is very intimate. It's one act, you know, Miss Sagan and Les Mis go they they start at 11 and they only go up yeah. so like you're you're along for the ride of like all the emotions are so heightened in a in a weird way the deaths don't feel personal they just like they're, they're sad like I still I cry in Les Mis I'm not gonna lie but like you you're in, that's what you're at your emotions are just so peaked in a show like that yeah and this is and not I, that. <laughs> no not, not at all and I and I wonder if I mean, Kander Neb never really wrote a through-sung musical, and I wonder if this no. was the one that they could have done it with, and people would have been more receptive to the mm, tone mm-hmm. if there was no break for dialogue. Almost, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing, but well, I wonder if that would have been the thing because yeah. you know, all of those shows are yeah, essentially are they, like you know something like Sweeney Todd. It, it, it's essentially an mm-hmm. opera. There are very, very few moments of actual dialogue throughout it and again that's not you know noises off or something right but it does but again you you're set up in sweeney todd for it being i mean it's billed as a gothic you know wherever they like a musical thriller (laughs) and they immediately from the opening number set you up for what you're about to see like this is going to be scary but again it's heightened you know what i mean like it's obviously not real the makeup, the lights, everything's very extreme, and the yeah. score is very extreme to go with it. That it, it's funny that you we don't get tragedy when you said we don't get tragedy in musicals. It that that really ticked my ear to something very interesting because I think you're absolutely right. We don't get straight tragedy in musicals. Mm-hmm. What you often end up with is ironic tragedy, yeah. which is kind of what Cabaret and also Chicago, which was a show they were you know only in the next decade that they would they would write. Um, deal with they there's a detachment from the reality of the circumstance where be it the mc and the cabaret stage or be it chicago which is just kind of its own animal yeah um they keep you they keep you kind of at arm's length so they can deal with some weighty and tragic things but in a very detached way so the songs can still be catchy and everybody's like oh i get it you know i'm having a good time but i'm also thinking about stuff and this show originally does have a framing device in it but it almost gets thrown to the wayside after the opening number and then doesn't come back to the end. And, you know, occasionally there's the character that's either called the woman or the leader, depending on the production of it, who is kind of there to push the characters toward their fate and kind of facilitate the story. But they're really on the periphery for most of the show and kind of disappear. And the narrative takes over 
more than, you know, like the MC in Cabaret who's at the end of every scene commenting on what just happened and what's to come. And it's, it's this, you know, show within a show type thing they do, but it doesn't really, I, I don't know. I like how it starts the show, but I don't think it works because it doesn't last throughout the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It needs a, I'm glad you told me that because that was one of my questions of like, what is the, because that it's a very highly billed character. Um, and is the driving force of the opening and the finale. So I just sort of assumed it was like a leading player situation in Pippin where they they drive the, they get involved, but they also just drive the story along and and maintain. And if that doesn't happen, then yeah, you're, you're, you're in a mess here a little bit. And and it's not like the leading player who has dialogue throughout and Mm -hmm. actually narrates the story here and there where the the leader sings the opening number and, and it, she does set the tone with the, the opening lyric of life is what you do while you're waiting to die. So, mm-hmm. I mean, th- that is how the show starts. So it, it it does kind of tip its hand a little bit that it's not going to be all, you know, cheery throughout. And and I actually think, you know, for, for an opening number, it, I, I love it because it's an incomplete sentence. It's life is, and then they fill it in throughout the whole song. And it's, saying that you can't have the good without the bad, which is life in its own way, but it's, you know, really not the sort of life philosophy you get from a musical. And it, it's funny reading the script to to prep for this and things. I, I got anti-mame vibes from Zorba, but if like, you know, uh. and they have these similar ideas about life and they take someone under their wing and teach them their philosophy and anti-mame says life is a banquet and most poor bastards are starving to death. And then Zorba says the only real death is the death we die every day by not living, which mm-hmm. are, you know, two sides of a very similar coin. And it's mm-hmm. and it's just embracing life as opposed to, you know, being cynical about life. But he doesn't really do that. You know, like the, yeah. the, usually the, the thing about Mame and, and other characters similarly in musicals is either or, or in drama in general is that they are either either the limitations of that philosophy are dealt with, which is sort of what Mame is kind of about. Her her fate her philosophy is continuously tested and she always kind of comes out on top. And that's the the resilience of Mame and why we love her. Um or we find out the character's kind of a charlatan and they can't like they can't sustain it. Their philosophy is flawed. Um but in this case, Zorba talks a really good game. Yeah. But he doesn't really back it up with anything at all. No, there's, you know, yeah, he just kind of gets by it because he's so charming, and it's just right. pe- pe- people buy right into it. And then, you know, the musical ends with everything just gone to hell, and he goes, "Well, I guess I'm going to go off this way, and whatever's next is next." And just kind of washes his hands of the whole thing, which is right. just—it's it, interesting because you know, again, it's it's called Zorba. Zorba right. feels like the main character, but it's really Nico's story throughout. And it's, and it's just kind of Nico's is the one who learns the life lessons and it's, it, and it's about his journey more than Zorba's, even though it's Zorba, the musical. No. Right. I mean, you kind of want it. To, I wanted it to be kind of Greek man of La Mancha. I really yes. wanted it to be, you know, Nico's meets this guy who is, eccentric and and has his own philosophy and and dances and does all this stuff and throughout the 
the show, like I said, like in Man of La Mancha, that philosophy is, is tested and it's exposed and its limitations are discovered. But ultimately, Nikos adopts Zorba's philosophy and it gets him through. Like that's sort of what you expect this to be, the, that, that Nikos will take on the persona of Zorba, again, because it's called Zorba, and then that will change his life. And that does not happen. We don't get that kind of like the genuine breakthrough of like, I don't get a sense of what, what is Zorba added to Nikos's life? Yeah. Exactly. I don't quite understand like what the, what the benefit was here, you know, for uh, him. Yeah. And I will say that they revised it from the original version and ha the ending's slightly different where Zorba's talks about when tragedy strikes, he dances and that's how he gets his emotion out is he because otherwise he'll he'll lose his mind and so after everything happens in the i think it's the licensed version now it's nico says to zorba can you teach me to dance and they have this tender moment where you know it's essentially the zorba dance from the movie True. and then and then they part ways and you get the the leader coming out to put the the epilogue onto it mm. so so you do get a slightly better sense that nico's is like I, I can dance to it when, when things get rough, which is, you know, not really even learning the lesson that much either, but it's, it's. It's a, something. It's, I mean, yeah, it's exactly. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's better than nothing where they just kind of hug it out and leave. And then that is that, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's really not a satisfying conclusion. I have really been, uh, I found myself sort of in the last, couple of of weeks or months or whatever it is wondering a little bit about what was hal prince's thing in, in the history of music theater because so what i mean by that is the the influence of most directors on musical theater is very easy to point to. So you have Tommy to, you know, old plus old equals new, you know, like that's his mm -hmm. philosophy and that's what he puts on stuff. And that's what we get from it. Um, Trevor Nunn is the sort of more is more philosophy uh, on yeah. the stage. Bob Fosse is every, anything can be sexy. You know, like that's the sort of a basic, I, I understand. And I also see the projects they were attracted to. I see what they brought to those projects. I see when it worked. I see when it didn't work. And I can kind of see like, oh, this is it. Hal Prince is a guy who I find alternately <laughs> incredibly interesting and incredibly frustrating because he he does, you know, he does a show like, and he hasn't done it yet when, when he gets to Zorba, but he, well, so we'll start with Cabaret. He does a show like Cabaret, which is, and he has this, you know, groundbreaking scenic design of the mirrored curtain and he takes real risks with the staging of that show it's very edgy material and he coasts he, he crafts it and he helps them get it up on uh in 1965 and it's a hit and it becomes cabaret you know the legendary piece of musical theater but you have shows like zorba and uh, the original production of she loves me like good as it was it was not it was not a big hit uh doll's house or doll's life the music Dolls, yeah, sequel Dolls to a doll's life, yeah. house um you know, like you have these epic but even his successes in shows like uh evita and phantom and a lot of his work was with sondheim it, it he doesn't seem to know what good material is it doesn't really have yeah. he doesn't maybe it's the more of the sense that he doesn't have a sense 
as strong of a sense of character as a lot of other directors do, but I'm just, he, I find him confounding. I don't understand what <laughs> attracts him to material and I don't understand what he's bringing to the table, except, you know, Hal Prince. And for me, because like, he's also responsible for pretty much every show I love, you know, sure. he, and, and it's, and it's, uh, he does pick a lot of things and it's, uh, it's almost like he goes, that sounds like that shouldn't be a musical then I'm going to make it a musical. It, yeah. It, it almost kind of, it, it's almost like defiance is his thing where he's mm-hmm. kind of got this, I'll show you attitude about everything. And I think it's, it's interesting that Zorba is in the middle of cabaret and company because it does kind of exist as a bridge between the two, because you've got the themes of cabaret are very similar to the themes of Zorba, but then you've got Nikos in Zorba, who is very much like Bobby and company where things are happening around them. And then in the end, it's, it's up to them to make the decision. It, mm. The outside forces really can't do it for him or him, you know, <laughs> Sure, they, they have, it's up to them to make the decisions for themselves. And, you know, the difference is we see that, Bobby's going to make the decision in company where we don't really know what's going to happen to Nikos after this. Mm-hmm. That's true. And similarly though, like you have, uh, I'm always haunted by the, not haunted exactly, but it's just, it's very <laughs> funny. Like I like the, the, uh, his, the thing that, that trips me up is that he, you have his reaction to cats, which was, you know, yes. he asked all these questions and like about thematic issues and received, you know, if it was allegorical and received the famous response. How? It's about cats. And that was it. And he wasn't in, like, and then he wasn't interested in the project. Like, that was it. That was the end of his association with it. Um, but then you have a show like Phantom that he does with, with Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I would find myself asking that question about Phantom a little bit. Like, what is, what are we, what are we about here? And, the answer seems to be it doesn't matter what it's about. It's just sort of spectacle. Yeah. So I I don't understand what attracts him to various projects here and there. I and, don't quite, and, I don't get it. It's very weird. And with Zorba too, Herschel Bernardi, who originated the, the title role, came to Hal Prince with the book and said, I want to do this so I can be Zorba. And he read it and he was like, no, this, this should be a musical and called Candor and Ebb to be like, I want you guys to write this. And they went, absolutely not. <laughs> and then he came up, he pitched the idea of the the bazooki circle that begins the mm. show with everyone hanging out in the cafe and playing and told them his, because he, he read the book and immediately had a concept for it. And he sold Candor and Ebb on it. And they're like, well, now we have to do it because that sounds too interesting to say no to. Right. Yeah, he's just a weird guy. Like, I really find myself kind of being like, I, I don't know what you're, you're, I guess it's because he's sort of, and it's a good thing. I mean, he has, he has man won 79 Tonys or whatever it is. Like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not here to like, how Prince doesn't need my, my condemnation or my acceptance, but he, it's just such an interesting, he doesn't seem to have a style per se. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem to have any, you don't look at a show that he directed and go like, oh, that was a, I see why Hal Prince chose that show, which with every other famous theater director, I can pretty much go, oh, like that's a Susan Stroman show. I see, or or conversely, uh, she directed that, and that wasn't that really wasn't a Susan Stroman show. I see why that didn't that didn't work out with him. It's just like 
just grabbing it, whatever. Like you say, like like that shouldn't be a musical or or things he like is like, no, I, I see how that works. So here I go. And he he's off to the races with it. it- and I, I wonder if a part of that too is because he was just a director and not a director choreographer. So mm-hmm. you have Fosse being able to use the dance to meld into his directing and Susan Stroman to do the same and Tommy Toon to do the same. And, you know, Jerome Robbins and all of these other mm-hmm. people who are able to to blend the two together where he has to pass it off to, you know, Patricia Birch or... Ron right, Field or Ron Field, or, yeah, whoever it happens to be in that. Larry Fuller, whoever, whoever yeah. his, his go-to people were, depending on the decade, I think, is how he figured that out. Uh, and he he's like famously known for like giving line readings and rehearsals and things yeah. like that, which is just like, so he, he clearly had an idea of how he wanted things, but he, yeah, I guess I never really thought that there's no like directing like there's no style like other than it's just kind of he has an auteur kind of sense but i don't even know what that means for hal prince other than i know i like the shows he directed you know (laughs) yeah it's one of those like because there's the the dichotomy again is what fascinates me like you have the story of uh, sondheim tells the famous story of of writing send in the clowns and have him being like this should this should be a song for for uh desiree and Sondheim not seeing it and him being like, okay, I'll direct the scene in such a way that it becomes her scene. And I'm like, see, that takes a lot of, t-. and then Sondheim got it. I'm like, okay, well, that takes a lot of talent as a director. If you can be like, I'm going to direct this scene this way, purposefully focusing on one character, like that takes a certain amount of talent. Um, but then, like you say, you watch sort of behind the scenes footage of him directing Sweeney or directing Evita in London. And you're just like, so he's just sort of making stage pictures and then, like you say, giving line readings and getting in arguments. And I'm just like, I don't understand what you're like, what you're doing here, buddy. I don't quite it, get your, your your push. I don't understand. Yeah. And, and it's also, you know, Sondheim would say in interviews, he'd write a song and Al would go, I, I don't know, is that a good song? And Steve would go, yes, Hal, that's a good song. And that would be enough for for him to go all right I, then like because I, he, maybe he just like didn't know if it would work or not and just to mm-hmm. have the tiniest bit of pushback and i i guess thinking about how prince as a director i think it, the stage pictures really is his thing is building oh, yeah. something that looks crisp and sharp and is very striking but you know it's theater so pictures are moments as opposed to a full overarching thing throughout the entire piece Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he really does live and die on it seems his connection to the material which is which is fair you know it's very very fair it's just interesting to me that he doesn't have a style you would say you know as somebody who's it's just just that they were good or they weren't you know like the shows were hit so they weren't and it also does seem to be largely a numbers game with him like the man directed a ton of shows and yeah. sort of a, a gross industry more than you know laser focused and just between that and being a producer there, there's i can't remember it's a very small amount of days between whenever uh the pajama game first opened and when phantom just closed that he did not have his name somewhere yeah. on a i mean now with parade i think his name is mentioned on there so he does get a little bit longer but he he's just been a presence for you know 70 years i was gonna say yeah for longer than a lot of us have been alive yeah. and yeah i mean you can't knock success i'm not it, it's just yeah. such a funny you know 
I, he's just one of those guys where he's just like, he's just kind of floating through. And like you say, famously has con- convinced people to do shows they didn't want to do and, and convinced people to that, pro- that projects were worthwhile. And it, it's, I mean, largely he was the one convincing Sondheim and all their collaborations to do the show. He brought, there was only like one or two instances where Sondheim brought it to him. Usually yeah. he brought it to Sondheim and convinced him. So like, he's responsible for a lot of those shows that we love so much. And like, like you say, are formative. Um, and you know, again, you can't knock success. I'm yeah. Not you really can't. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just weird. I don't, I it, 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 I'm sure part of it is my sort of assumption as to what that, as, as well, cause as a director, like what draws you to material aside from money, which obviously belongs draws everybody, <laughs> but like, what's the like? What, if you're out there looking for something to do, what 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 attracts you in, in a in a piece of material? That's a great question. Um, I usually gravitate towards comedy with a message behind it, so it's not comedy for comedy's sake, but it's got mm. maybe a little biting satire underneath it, or a little layer of irony with it, and I, I it's got to be connecting to the material for me too like there's just that thing that indescribable thing that maybe you know Hal Prince had too where he's just like I don't know what it is but I just would like to spend time living in this world and I don't know, for, for me it's it's got to be I've got to want to root for the the main character too and I want to be able to to connect with them and go that's a, that's somebody's story who I, I want to show everyone mm-hmm. so it's kind of character character-based comedy is sort of your, your yeah that's run. my my wheelhouse and and i'm also because i'm you know such a theater nerd and like for musicals and things if i can if i can direct a deep cut i am in heaven so <laughs> <laughs> what is okay then i'll ask what's your like white whale deep cut that you would love to to put up somewhere i mean i got I really, mine so i would love to know what yours is i would I mean, I don't know how the the golden apple. I think is one that I would I would wow. love to direct. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. wow, that's a deep cut. I mean, we've done that on the podcast. So, like, like if you if you're a regular listener, you know what that is. But wow, that's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, it, it, just like, I, I'm fascinated by that show, and I'm like, I, I'm convinced it can work. I think if if things were, it doesn't even. It's not a matter of like having a bold artistic choice behind it i think it's just finding a way to do justice to that material because it's so large in scope that that it would be mm-hmm. so amazing to to get a successful production of that up that is such a true god man like the directors <laughs> i know but it's that thing of like not even directors it's the performers are the same way if you have a show that you have that you really enjoy and you're like i i, I know this is not good and I know this is not a hit, but uh, I can do like the, the challenge yeah. of being like, if I, if I can, like, I think, I think there's a good show in there. And if I can find it, wow, that will be amazing. <laughs> exactly. So so if anybody's got a couple thousand dollars lying around, right, just, just, lying just, around. just let me yeah. know. I can, <laughs> I can make it disappear real quick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, the rights can't be that expensive to, to no. golden apple I, I i think it's available uh yeah mine is anyone can whistle i will oh. i have wanted so bad because that's also because i just want to see it like it's one of those things nobody does it it's very hard it doesn't work i want to be very clear i've read the book it does not work but i really want to see it <laughs> like i really it, badly want to see it <laughs> it's funny i when I was prepping for this, I was at the 
performing arts library at Lincoln Center and I was in their libretto section and I grabbed Zorba and I just was like perusing and I was like, oh, anyone can whistle. And I, um, and I just, and I just started thumbing through it. And I'm just like, man, this is rough. Wild. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'll, it, it's such a, but my, but like you say, like, I feel like it really is the hubris of being like everyone until now has gotten this show wrong. Yeah. And I think I know how to get it right. And the, the, but also the funny thing about it being, and you know this, I'm sure, is like, even if you get it right, it still may, it, it, it still may completely flop because the yeah. show, like I say, does not work. So like, it still it, may it, completely fall apart. And and even like the diehards like us, it's it's still it's a divisive thing to to oh, have. Yeah. And and I think Sondheim said it best with anyone can whistle where you know it walks the line between smart and smart ass a little too much and it's just mm-hmm. and it's it definitely when it gets into that smart ass territory and oh, you know yeah. being a professional smart ass I'm like wow that's even too much for me yeah because <laughs> it really it really like it really tells the audience that they're they're idiots several one yeah, time just, too many kind of like yeah. <laughs> one too many of those and she's like man I mean I get like that's but that's the thing of it to, to me we're okay only oh, I'm, I'm allowing myself 30 more seconds on anyone can whistle and then we're going to move on. But like, I think that the big thing that people always said about anyone can whistle is that it was ahead of its time. And I firmly disagree with that. I think it's very, very of its time. I think it is so 1962 New York, like intellectual movement, like coming out of the beats before the Beatles got to America. Like it really captures a tiny little moment of time that was gone by the time it opened. Like I, like it was really like, it was old before it, before it happened. But it's it it like it it needs to exist in that tiny little microcosm otherwise it doesn't work it's landlocked to that very specific period of time and that's what i find fascinating about it is the sort of like madman aspect of it yeah really like zero down into and like i think you could make an argument about wanting to make it contemporary with you know all of the things Mm -hmm. that are in there about you know but i just don't think it would work you know i i think no, you, you're all. completely you're completely right where it just needs to be zeroed in right in that tiny window where it was written and i mean i don't i don't know i calling it ahead of its time i think is being very generous and it's also i don't think an older sondheim could have written that and i think a younger sondheim couldn't have written that either like it's it's just right in no, that sweet very, spot yeah. and where he, once he, you know he matured for lack of a better word and just was able to kind of level up in terms of his musicianship not not that it's not that the score is bad it's it's like simple is one of my favorites but it's just like oh yeah it's disorganized yeah that is the perfect word yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well but also speaking of so but shows locked in time so this is interesting because i'm a big proponent of not modernizing things that are less than a hundred years old, basically like that. The, Cause it happens with company all the time is that people like always are updating and updating and updating company. And there's no show more landlocked to like 1969 New York to me than company is. But Zorba kind of ha- exists in an interesting year in opening in, in, uh, in 60, it opened in 68, right? But it was a 69 uh, Tonys. Is see, that right? Yes. Uh, I think it was, uh, November of 68. November yeah. 68. And the Tonys were the following April. Yes. And that year was a really interesting in-between year. It's it's my favorite year of the Tonys, of best musicals. Like, ah. it, it's, and, and because you've got Zorba, 
You do. You've, you've got hair. Yes, which, you do. You know, yes. is a, completely changes what a musical score can do. And then you've got Promises, Promises, which also completely changes what a musical score can do. And it's very, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities between hair and Promises, Promises in terms of the score and it being so contemporary. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 1776, which is the closest thing to a Golden Age musical out of those four. Mm-hmm. And also what's interesting is that year there was not a Best Score Tony Award. And right. I was trying to find an answer to that because I was just kind of like, that's bizarre unless it was people not wanting it to go to a show like Hair and thinking it would, you know, tarnish well, the reputation. St- or They stopped that Tony for a number of years. It was... It was out of circulation from like 69. I mean, maybe it's just these two years now that I'm looking at it. 69 and 70, it was not given. And which is important to remember, kids, because the uh, company was seven, the 71 Tonys opened in April of 70. It ran for a year before it won any Tony Awards, which is just like inconceivable um, yes. <laughs> to, to us now. But the. The, those two years, there were there was no score, Tony, at all. And then they brought it back in 71 as two awards, as Best Music and Lyrics, and Sondheim won them both. So then they canceled that and went back to the Best yeah. Music and Lyrics. <laughs> and then they've been giving it ever since. Um, it is an odd, because it's like, it's this year, like you say, where the where it's hair and it's, uh, you know, Promises, Promises, which is Burt Bacharach. And then the next year, they also don't have one, and it's Applause, Coco, and Pearly. And so I don't understand why these were the two years it didn't exist. It's such an odd choice. And it's also, it's just a fascinating time period for musicals and what's being written because it's, it's transitioning into this new concept form and those between like Applause, Coco, and Pearly, all three of them are so wildly different too in terms yeah. of just the the musicality and it's same deal with 69 and it's it's just it's kind of interesting that out of all of the years the years where there is such variety are that are the years we don't get that award nope yeah I, it would be really interesting to know who i mean i think that i mean who do you think would have won best score that year of those four it's probably 1776 right yeah like, annoys me because it's it's a half hour's worth of music like you know there's there's sure hardly any songs in there and it's not like that they're bad songs i love 1776 but my heart would want it to be hair because i think it's the most inventive score out of those four but oh yes honestly out of those four like i don't think i'd ever if i was you know alive in 1969 and they were doing that i'd be like happy with any of them i'd be like oh i love that show but it's also and yeah, it's just kind of interesting. I think I feel like it has to be 1776, but hair I think would be what I would I mean, want. Hair's, hair's the one you want to win. Yeah. And certainly I think time has proven that hair has the best score of those. Four. Yeah. I think that it'd go, but I think in, especially since 1776 won best musical. So you can kind of extrapolate backwards that it would yeah. probably would also win score. Um, I think it's either 1776 or promises promises. And then it really comes down to like, do they want to give Burt Bacharach a Tony Award? The score was not well received of Promises, Promises. Uh, only the acting actually was well received yeah, out of Promises, which, Promises. Which is wild to me because the, that score is so good. And it's just... I, I, it is really good. 
that's a really good record but i don't know that the score works really well in yeah. the show is my kind of like that songs like she likes basketball which is always my <laughs> go-to in that it's like that's a fun song and it's a great number and, and everybody loves it but it's such a weird little moment to have a song for that character yeah. And like to me, because like I love the apartment, and it's like one yeah. of my favorite movies. And you know, in the movie, he's got tickets to I think like the Music Man or something. Music so, Man, right? So so, exactly. so he can't be like singing a song about how like we're at a musical and now we're gonna go see another musical. So they're right. they just like pivot to basketball as if like that's you know. It's <laughs> such a weird like it's uh, 1960. I don't know how like when basketball became super popular, yeah. but it's such an odd like anyway. It, it's it's a. You know, Jerry Orbach kills it and it's great and I and he has a Tony for it and God bless. But it is just like that's a wild show. It really reason. is. <laughs> and you know, the whole song like after Fran takes the pills and then they sing the little right. song about like the doctor comes in and sings like I'm gonna cheer you up with putting your glasses on oh. your head and Oh it's my god. So bizarre. Yeah. It's but a really I, bizarre show. But I love my oh, It's a great record. Time. Though. Like yeah. I, I I think well that and that's the thing of it, is just like that is a gr- another great example, like Zorba, of like the cast album existing independent of the show. I think that's the. I think it won the Grammy that year. That's a great album. I think Promises, Promises is, is a great album worth listening to. I don't care for the show, but I like the score a lot. Like you say, I like it's fun and, and divorced of the of the dramatic situations. Yes, that I think it's great. Has not aged the best. No, not great, but yeah. you know, well better than some. Yeah, <laughs> not as good as others would be. This sort of like. The kick for that. Uh, how do you think Zorba has aged? Has it well, aged well? <laughs> I saw it, I guess it was 2015 when I saw it. And mm-hmm. I, it, it kind of works in the sense that it's of its time as in 1922 when it takes place. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like it's aged. There are aspects of it, like especially how the widow is treated and that doesn't really sit right. But then if you think, well, it's 1920, 22 in a very conservative area in this tight-knit village in Greece that's how they would respond so it's not like they're doing anything that's overtly awful it's just the attitude isn't great and you know we've evolved so I, I don't see it as an issue mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a very contained story so I, I feel like if somebody were to put it up tomorrow nobody would complain that it feels dated they mm-hmm. complain about other things but not that it feels sure. dated yeah <laughs> <laughs> we never levy the cause of like, oh, it's 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 of its time or whatever else. It'd be like, no, there's a lot of other problems in here yeah. to deal with before we deal with that. Yeah, uh, it's, and it's you know, it did have a healthy run. Like you know, it wasn't a hit. Yeah, it's very of well. Imagination, sure. But, and then when it was revived, it kind of it started the trend of you know the Candoranep revivals that run longer than the original production. Right. <laughs> Though this one only beat it by a cup. Like this, this wasn't a yeah. while. This isn't a Chicago level, but it did. Yeah, it did outrun. Yes, the the original production. I think the original ran for like three hundred and five performances, which is very good for for that period of time. Um, and then the the uh, the revival in the eighties, which starred Anthony Quinn coming off the movie, uh, ran for three forty four. So it just yeah. came over the uh, <laughs> just came over the line. Uh, but you know. It it, 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 uh, like I say, you can't knock success, and that's not that's none too shabby on that sort of uh, that sort of line. And um, with that too, they they softened a lot of the edges too with with that revival where they they tried to do some things yeah. to tone it down and and changing the opening lyric from 
from life is what you do while you're waiting to die to life is what you do till the moment you die. Right. Which I, I just uh, kind of an awful yeah. way to kick off the show. It's just like, it's such a myth kind of a thing where the, the yeah. original just really makes you, it's so much more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you're like, Oh, this is well, okay. That's interesting philosophy to be, to be living with. Uh, yeah, don't soften these things, guys. The, the yeah. problem isn't that it's hard. The problem is that it doesn't tell the story in a good way. Not that yeah. like it's too shocking in the opening number when they anyway, that's not. Um, Mike, this has been wonderful to talk with you. I have to ask, I've been forgetting recently, so I have to <laughs> ask, what is your favorite song in Zorba? I have such a hard time picking favorites, but I think I gotta go with Life Is. Oh, there you go. It just kicks Started off the, the show. Yeah. There we are. Yeah. And does it very well, I will yeah. say. It 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 kind of writes a few checks. The show doesn't cash, but that's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets my attention, so that's that's what matters. It does. <laughs> good opening numbers worth its weight in gold. I think we all I think we all know that. And um, and we get that good John Kander vamp to start it off that he does so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you love a Kander vamp. It's true, yeah. you know. But you said that I know exactly yeah. what you. Yeah, <laughs> I suddenly heard four of them. I was like, "All right, oh, Chicago, Cabaret. yeah, okay, great, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely." <laughs> I think curtains, yes, they all okay. They all kind of go that way. Um, Mike, this is great to to talk with you. Where can people find you on the internet? I am real Mike Maney on Twitter and Instagram. Come for the niche theater jokes, stay for the occasional picture. Sure, <laughs> I, I'm so bad at social media. I'm trying to be better about it, but and so, so real Mike well, Maney. It's the age of everyone, I think, is bad at social media at the moment. I don't think there's such a thing as good social media. Yeah, right for now. real. So I, just I, be I, yourself. That's all we can do. <laughs> all we can do. Is mildly is. present. So Yes, there we are. Exactly. <laughs> Authenticity and presence. And what else? Yeah. You know, everything else will figure itself yeah. out. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Listen to me. I will tell you. Life is what you do. While you're waiting to die Life is how the time goes by Life is where you wait While you're waiting to leave Life is where you grin Only that, Mr. Life is simply that, Mr. That, and nothing more than that. 
The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash originalcastpod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. On the socials, we're at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hey, Bethany. My thanks to Mike Maney for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. This is how the die.